0: Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Pastor Kevin here. Thank you so much for tuning into this online service. I am so excited to be able to worship with you this morning, to be able to sing some songs together, and now at this point to study some scripture together. One of the things I always want to encourage you is as you're watching these services, we want to be able to grow in our faith with with the Lord, but we also want to grow in our relationship with one another. So I want to encourage you as you're watching these services, would you engage in the comments and interact with one another? In fact, why don't you do this? Why don't you, in the comments, why don't you tell one exciting thing that happened this past week, one positive thing from this past week, put that in the comments and let's engage with one another. As we start out today, I was thinking about a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to take the youth group kids to a Seattle Mariners game. Listen, this was a great idea, but there was a problem. And no, the problem is not that I'm a Mariners fan. It's going to be our year, eventually. The problem was, was that that weekend that we went to this game, the Mariners had a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays in Seattle. You see, the Blue Jays play from Toronto, and they happen to be the only Canadian professional baseball team. And so what happens when the Blue Jays come to Seattle and they play against Seattle, all the baseball fans from Western Canada, they descend upon Seattle in droves to support their team. And that weekend, it felt like it was a big party for all these Blue Jay fans. Here we are with all these youth group kids, and there are tons and tons and tons of Blue Jay fans that are screaming loudly and just enjoying themselves. There was one of these fans that actually spilled beer on one of our youth group girls. And it was this crazy experience for us because here we are in Seattle as the Mariner fans, and we were a minority because there were thousands upon thousands of Blue Jay fans at the field that day. Listen, isn't that sometimes what it's like in our Christian faith? When we put our faith in Jesus and we're trying to be faithful to what God has for us, we're trying to follow Jesus, but it seems like the world around us, talking about the culture, talking about the methods and the attitudes and the values of the world around us, that feels so different. It feels like they're so prevalent, like, like the us as Christians, it feels like we're just a minority. It feels like there's not many of us and we feel this pressure from all this world around us. And it's not just difficult because we feel like a minority, it's also difficult because, if we're being honest, the the worldly methods, the worldly attitudes, man, they appeal to our sinful nature, that sinful nature that we're trying to have God redeem in our hearts, and so it becomes difficult. And typically what happens as a Christian when we're faced with the world around us, we have a pendulum that swings to two extreme sides. On the one side, we have this idea well, we just need to isolate ourselves, to separate ourselves from the world. Where we say the world, they're bad, they're scary, so we're going to isolate and stay away from the world. That's one side of the pendulum. On the other side of the pendulum, we have this idea that we begin to look like the world around us. Where we imitate the world. Where there really becomes no difference between the way that a Christian lives and the way that the world lives. There's no difference between the world and the church. And what happens is is on both of these extremes, both of these extremes, we fail to live as salt and light in the world that Jesus expects us to be. And we become a powerless Christian. We become a powerless church when we isolate or when we imitate This summer, we've been in a series through the uh, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th chapters of the book of John, uh, what's often called the upper room discourse. In this couple of chapters, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's preparing to get arrested, to, to give his life as a ransom, to raise from the dead, and then to return to his Father in heaven. But before he does that, Jesus spends about five hours with his disciples, going through and reminding them of the truths they needed to know before he left them. And it has been such a powerful, powerful section of scripture. I'd encourage you to go back and reread these chapters, 13 through 17 in the book of John, because they're just so powerful and they'll be a blessing to your faith. In fact, as we are close to ending the series on the Upper Room Discourse, I want to give you a heads up as to where we're going in the month of September with a new sermon series. As we've gone through this pandemic, one of the results of the pandemic has been we've been quarantined at home, many of us with our families. And while for a lot of us, that's been good, if we're going to be honest, as we've been quarantined with our families, some of those relationships have taken some tension. There's been some difficulty in those relationships. The relationships have been taxed because we're home with each other a lot. And so we're going to be in this new series in the month of September, really looking at scripture and asking God to strengthen our relationships, to give us some, some ability to, to have some strong and to build stronger relationships within those Uh, family units, and those people around us. So we encourage you, continue to engage with us throughout the month of September. Uh, This will be a great series for us. But today we're going to be in the book of John chapter 17. We started this chapter last week in verses 1 through 5 where Jesus was praying for himself. He prayed and said, God, would you glorify me so I can glorify you on the cross? Next week we're going to look at verses 20 through 25 where Jesus prays for us. For all of us who have placed their faith in Jesus because of the disciples' ministry. But today, today we're going to be in verses 6 through 19 of John chapter 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples, minus Judas Iscariot, who's called the son of perdition because he never was a true disciple. And this prayer, this prayer is going to continue on a theme that Jesus has often talked about throughout the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus realizes that as he is preparing to leave the disciples, the disciples are going to have some hardship and some difficulty in front of them. Because without Jesus there with them, the disciples are going to have to face all this difficulty alone, hardship. In fact, this is what Jesus says in verse 14. He said, God, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says, listen, as they have hated me, so they will hate you as the disciples. And so the question for the disciples is, how are we going to survive this? How will we remain faithful to God? And so here Jesus is praying. And the disciples are listening to this prayer. And Jesus is going to teach them as well as he's going to teach us that our faithfulness to God, it comes from God's protection of us and how we embrace the truth of of scripture, the truth of the word of God. So I want you to to jump in this passage with me me, and notice what Jesus prays first, because he's gonna acknowledge who the disciples and who we belong to. He says in verse six, he says, God, I've manifested your name to the people that you've given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. See, this is an interesting way for Jesus to start this portion of this prayer. And it's important for us to understand Because Jesus prays almost as if to remind himself and to remind the Father, but definitely to remind the disciples who are listening on this prayer of who they are, or rather, whose they are. Where Jesus prays and says, listen, despite despite the odds, despite the difficulty you're going to face, he says, you belong to God. You are God's gift to me. You belong to us. See, Jesus continues the same idea in verse 9 where Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you've given me. They are yours. And all that is mine is yours. And all that is yours is mine. And I am glorified in them. See, one of the most significant things that we can know about our faith is to remember whose we are. That we belong to God. Recently, my wife and I took our oldest son off to college. And one of the things that was really important for us to remind him and to tell him is, listen, you're always going to be a diet. Which means, mom and dad, we're always going to be for you. We're always going to be your biggest fans. We got your back. We're always willing to help. If you need it, we will be there. And this is what Jesus is praying for these disciples. He wants to remind them whose they are. Listen, you are God's. God will always have his hand on you. He always has your back. This is so important for them to remember. But look what else Jesus prays for. He reminds them who they are. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And this is the tension that the disciples are feeling. And here's his request. He says, God, would you keep them in your name, which you've given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the son of destruction, which is Judas, so scripture may be fulfilled. See, Jesus says, is while I was on the earth, while Jesus was on the earth, he was the first and last line of defense for the disciples. When they were threatened, Jesus was there to receive the blows. When they were hated, Jesus was there to allow that hate to be expanded on himself. But now as Jesus is going to be gone, as he's going to return to the Father in heaven, all of that difficulty would be placed on the disciples. And so Jesus is praying and saying, God, God, would you keep them in your name? You see, when Jesus says, would you keep them in your name? When he says in your name, that refers to the character of God. And so he's saying, God, would you protect them by your name? That they would be protected by the one who is sovereign, the one who is holy, the one who is all-knowing, the one who is wise, the one who is compassionate. Anything that can be said about God, that is the one that is going to protect these disciples. And that is such a powerful thing for these disciples to be reminded and for, for, for them to know. And here's why this is so important. Because the trouble for the disciples is not just going to come from the outside It's not just gonna come from the world and from Satan and the bad guys. There might even be a greater trouble that will come from within. Because these disciples, just like you and I, they have this sin nature. And this sin nature will continue to battle them in their lives till they breathe their last. In fact, we're gonna see in the coming pages of scripture, we're gonna see that sin nature continue to battle where they deny Jesus, they abandon Jesus at the moment he needed them the most. And so this sin nature is going to battle against us until the, our final breath. And, it, and, if, and if our faithfulness to God was dependent on us, if their faithfulness to God was dependent on them, then none of us could remain faithful because we will fail time and time and time again. And so here what Je- here's what Jesus is doing. He is, he is entrusting our faith. He's entrusting our salvation. He's entrusting our righteousness to God and saying, God, I'm taking their righteousness out of their hands and giving it to you, God. This is a doctrine that is known as perseverance of the saints, which may be better described as perseverance of God, because it's God who has a hold on us. And that is what we rely on. This is a great truth that Jesus has already taught on in John chapter 10, when Jesus said, The Father is greater than all, and no one will ever be able to snatch us out of God's hand. Isn't that so good to be reminded that, that God is the one who protects our faith, that we belong to Him, and He secures our faith? He secures us so that we will always be with Him. So not only does Jesus ask God to protect the disciples, But he asks something else very specific. In fact, here's what he says in verse 14. He says, God, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because you're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Repeats it in verse 16. He says, they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. But in between those two verses, here's his specific request. Verse 15. Jesus says, I'm not asking that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. See, God did not want to remove the disciples from the world. Rather, what he wants is that God would keep us from the evil one who rules the world, that we would be kept in the world by the power of God. You see, there's this warped version of Christianity out there that that seeks to remove Christians from the world, that says we need to isolate ourselves because that's the best way for us to avoid the corruption of the world around us. In fact, the church that i first attended when i became a christian it almost seemed like their goal for us as christians was to completely isolate us as far as humanly possible away from the world and so they had all these rules they had all these rules that would isolate us from the world to protect us right so we weren't supposed to go to movies because if we went to the movie theater we might be tempted to see a, a bad movie. Or if we're at the movie theater, somebody else might see us there and they might be tempted to see a worldly movie themselves. We were not supposed to dance because dancing would make you want to, well, you know. You weren't supposed to listen to rock music because rock music would make you wanna dance and that would make you want to, well, you know. Now listen, I'll say that I think their goal was good. Their goal was to protect us from the world. But is is that really what God wants? To remove us from the world? Listen, this is what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. So I send the Christians, the disciples into the world. Acts 1.8 says we are God's witnesses to the world. That the world will know God through us. That, That is what God's intent is. So what Jesus is trying to teach us is true discipleship. Is not isolation from the world. True discipleship is living like Jesus in the world. David Platt said it's like this. He said, Our mission is not to disinfect Christians and put them on a shelf. Our mission is to disciple Christians and put them into service for the kingdom of God in the world. See, if we remove ourselves from the world, we lose our evangelistic witness which is the very reason that God leaves us and sends us into the world in the very first place. So so Jesus wants to teach us, listen, we're not supposed to isolate ourselves from the world. We're also not supposed to imitate the world. We're not supposed to assimilate into the world. This is where Christians often say we are to be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, I'd say it like this. A holiness disconnected from the world is no holiness at all. So the question becomes well how do we do this how do we live in the world but not of the world how do we remain faithful and dedicated to god in the midst of a world that's ruled by sin and folly and, 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 and evil and jesus gives us the answer verse 17. jesus says sanctify them in the truth your word is truth Verse 19, he says, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they may be sanctified in the truth. See, this word sanctify, it comes from a Greek word that means to be set apart, which means to be consecrated, to be made holy, which means that we have been set apart for God's service. We are set apart to be God's witnesses in the world. And how do we do that? How do we be his witnesses? How do we stand for God? He just said, Your word is truth. They'll be sanctified in the truth. That is how we be these witnesses and and, and stand in the world, because we know the truth. This is how we develop a holy heart and life within the world. It's that we know God's word. We know the word of God. After all, the greatest way to avoid a lie is to know the truth. That's what God is trying to say to us, that our success in this world, our success spiritually It's not how we isolate ourselves from the world and try and protect us from the evil world around us, but how much we know the truth and how much we base our lives on the truth. In fact, when we think about this prayer, that we get this glimpse to this conversation from the heart of Jesus to the Father. We get the glimpse of this. What Jesus is trying to teach us is such a vital truth for the disciples and for us. That Christian faithfulness in this world is found on us being held by God and being rooted in the truth. That these two truths, these two things of being held by God and rooted in the truth are transforming to our life and to our faith. And this is where we have this idea that if we're gonna be effective in this world, that we need to be held by God and rooted in His truth. The question becomes well, how do we do that? That sounds great, but how do I be reminded and assured? that I am held by God? How do I be assured that I am his and that he who began a good work in me will see it to completion? And how do I root my life in the truth? How does God's word give me the ability to stand strong while trying to influence and live in the world around me? How do we do that? Jesus gave us the answer in verse eight. If you look back, Jesus said this. He said, I've given them the words that you gave me. And I want you to circle this and they received them. They have come to know the truth that I came from you and circle this again and they believe that you sent me. See we live in a day when the truth is all around us. Most people in our society, most people in our world, they know a little bit about who God is. Maybe they've seen a Bible. They might know a couple Bible verses. People would say, yeah, I pray. I pray at times. As Christians, You think about all that we have at our disposal. We have all sorts of resources at our disposal. We have uh, study Bibles and commentaries. We can go to church for Bible studies. We have the access to great preaching on the internet available to us 24-7. Here's the thing. We can be taught knowledge, but you alone can take them into your heart can internalize the truths of God's word into your heart and into your life. It's not just enough that we know these things, that we know the truth, but we actually have to trust the truth, to believe the truth, to act on the truth, and to build our life on the truths that we read and that we know. Let me paint it for you like this. Years ago, when I first started working at Madison House, we took these kids up to summer camp. And one of the things we did at summer camp was we did a high ropes course. And so we're up and I've got these kids and I'm talking to them um, about, uh, about the high ropes course and about teaching them about faith. How faith is not just knowing about God. It's not knowing the truth. It's actually acting on that faith. That, that, that living, the, the, the living truth is when we live upon the truths that God has given us. So one of the obstacles that we were looking at was called the leap of faith. What happened on the leap of faith is you'd get roped up and then you'd climb a tree to a platform about 30 feet up on that tree. And you stand on that platform and about five feet away from that platform, there was a, a bar on a rope. And you were supposed to jump off that platform and grab onto that bar. And you're supposed to trust that rope and the leader who was holding that rope called belay, whoever's on belay. You're supposed to trust them that you would be okay, that you would not fall down to the ground. This is an opportunity for me to encourage them to put their faith in the rope, to put their faith in their leader, to act on it, to internalize the truth that the rope is going to hold you. Until one of the kids said this. They said, oh, this is all great. But Kevin, we want you to go first. We want you to go first. We want to see if you actually live what you preach. Now, I'll be honest. When I was in high school, I had a rock climbing accident where I fell about 35 feet shattered some vertebrae vertebrae in my back. By the grace of God, I wasn't hurt worse. And so I'm sitting on the floor. I'm standing on the ground. I'm looking up at this platform, and I am scared to death. My knees are knocking so loud, I was about to answer the door. But these kids were waiting to see if I actually was going to live what I preached. So I slowly climbed up to the top of that tree, stepped out on that platform, and my hands were sweating like a, like a water spigot, just dripping water. And I stood out on the edge of that platform. I closed my eyes, I prayed, and I jumped. And I couldn't hold onto the bar because my hands were too slip. But the craziest thing is, I didn't come crashing down to the ground. Listen, I knew the truth. That rope should hold me. That person on the ground with a rope tied to them, that should hold me. And when I jumped, I had faith that that was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. But you see, it wasn't until I acted on what I knew. It wasn't until I ter- internalized that proved that I truly believed in that rope, that I believed in that system. Listen, this is the way it is with God. That we can hold on to the truth. We can hold on to the Bible. But it's not about us taking the truth and secluding ourselves into a Christian subculture, trying to create a place that's safe for the Christian family, a place to protect us from the world. What God wants for us is to know the truth and to trust and act upon that truth, to live our faith out in the world around us, to stand for what we claim to we, we believe in. Listen, what, is that, what does that mean for you? What truth do you actually need to live out? What truth do you need to say, this is what I read and I know, and here's how it's going to change how I live? As an example, I've got a friend who had a, a new job. It was a good job with, with a good pay. But the problem was the owner of the company, his boss, man, he ran an unethical place. It was a very negative environment. My friend had to make a choice. He had to make a choice to stand for truth, to say this is not okay what's happening here decided to take a different job. Maybe it wasn't as good. Maybe it didn't pay as well, but he had to stand for what he believed was right. Another friend of mine, he fell into the, the lust that our culture throws at us. When you look at TV and music and advertising, I mean, doesn't everything seem to glorify sex? So my friend fell into pornography and some of these really bad habits on the things he's looking at, the things he's watching. And he had to choose my friend had to choose to submit himself to accountability, to ask for help so that he could honor God with the things he looked at, with what he allowed in, through his eyes into his mind. He chose to stand for the truth that he knew what was right. Listen, what, is, what does it mean for you to stand and to internalize the truths that you know to be true? I think about this political season that we are in when you go onto social media you are going to be bombarded with opinions about which candidate is going to fix the problems in our country and fix the problems in our world but listen maybe for you as a christian maybe you should be more passionate about people knowing your savior than which candidate you support maybe that's what that means for you what does this mean for you maybe when you think about the anxiety that you are struggling with over the cares of this world so I'm not going to deny that those things aren't real. But maybe for you, you choose to embrace the sovereignty of God and choose to, to embrace Matthew chapter 6 that says to seek first the kingdom of God and allow God to take care of all those details that we spend all this time worrying about. Listen, what does it mean for you to stand and to internalize and to live out the truths that you know? I mean, thinking about this, the upper room discourse. Has repeatedly talked about how love is the defining characteristic of believers in christ of disciples that we claim to be christ that people should know us by our love so let me just say this who is it that you need to love instead of judging and criticizing and condemning see jesus he's not calling us to isolate ourselves to remove ourselves from the world to protect ourselves from the world He's calling us to influence the world around us, to be his witnesses, to offer redemption to a broken world. And we do that by knowing the gospel, by knowing that we are gods, that he protects us, he saves us on his strength and not on ours. And we be his witnesses and and, and influence the world around us by knowing and living out the truth, by standing for what we believe in. And I love you guys. And I'm excited for the power of how God can use us as a church, as a group of believers, as Christians, if we would do these things, that we would influence the world around us for the kingdom of God, that lives would be transformed, not because we stayed away from the culture and were afraid of it, not because we became like that, but because we knew that we are gods and we stood and lived upon the principles of the word of God. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that you have been so gracious to us. That God, as you are looking at us as disciples and saying, Man, we're to to be witnesses and to influence the world around us. That God, you haven't left us on our own, but you have entrusted us to the Father. You've entrusted us to God the Father to protect us, to, to, to save us, to hold on to us. God, I'm so thankful that you've got my back. So thankful that you are there with me, that when I fall, you are there to hold me and to pick me up. God, I pray that we would rest in that glorious truth, that we are yours and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we would have that assurance of our standing with you, that God, we are yours. God, I want to pray for us that we would value the truth, that we'd value the scriptures, the truth that you've given us. And God, not that we would just know it. God, I pray that you help us to stand for these things. God, I know how difficult it can be to stand for truth in a world that disregards truth, to stand for things that are so contrary to the way the majority of the people live. So God, I pray for courage. God, I pray for conviction. God, that we would stand for the things that you stand for. If we love the things that you love, that we'd hate the things that you hate. God, that there'd be something about our lives that sets us apart, that makes us different than the world around us. God, that the world would look and see there's something different about the Christians. They haven't removed themselves to avoid us. They haven't become just like us, but they are standing strong on what they believe to be true. God, I pray that you would encourage us as, as, as the school season about to start as we think about our workplaces, as we think about our neighborhoods, our communities, that God, the world would see, they would people around us would see that we have internalized the truth and we're standing for what we believe in. Lord, I pray that you give us that influence over the world to point them to you, to point them to our Savior. God, I'm so thankful for your grace on us. So thankful that even though we will fail to, to do this right at all times. But God, you are there to hold on to us, to allow us to try it again. So God, I just pray that you would give us that courage this week to live these things out. God, to be your witnesses to the world around us. God, we love you and praise you, and we ask this in your holy and precious and perfect name. Amen.